and welcome back to The Culture. My name is Anna. Welcome, welcome. My name is Mark. Thank you for the welcome, Mark. I feel so welcomed. As you should. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about a group called Synanon. Have you ever heard of this group? Synanon. No. <laughs> no? Cinnabon comes to mind. Ooh. But I don't think that's right. But now I'm going to get hungry. Um, I'll be honest with you. I had never really, I don't, I didn't have a lot of like pre-knowledge of this group before I researched it. So what did you do? Just like random deep dive? No, um, I had heard about them from this other podcast that I listened to, My Favorite Murder. Nope. We're not, we're not giving free shout outs. Nope. No names. (laughs) Anyways, I heard it from these two women that I like that have a very famous podcast and, um, they talked about it and how they're like obsessed with it. And then I kind of, they didn't talk a lot about it though. So I had to do a lot of the research. It wasn't like their episode. No. Oh, no. gotcha. Yeah. So before though, we jump into that. I have a few updates from our last episode on Heaven's Gate. Some corrections we need to make as well as some news. Hit me with it. Okay. So Last episode, you tried to tell me Careful. that Haley's comment was the same thing as the oh, yeah. Hale-Bopp Hale-Bopp. comment, and they are not the same thing. Well, we both know that I don't believe in science or space. <laughs> That's true. So I'm going to go ahead. I, I'll eat that one. Yep. Yes. It's all made up. So they're two very different things. The Haley's comment comes around, I guess, like every 75 years, so it's likely that we'll see it again in our lifetime. Um the Hale-Bopp does not. It comes around every 2,533 years. So why when they miss the boat, right. it's a way bigger boat to miss. It's a way bigger boat. Maybe they can just, you know. Jump take, on Haley's? Take Haley like an Uber and just like hit a transfer. Yeah. So the crazy thing is the reason why I even figured this out is because the other day I was looking at the news and it was like, Haley's Comet is set to leave a meteor shower in its wake over may 5th and i was like bro what so So then i looked it up and we were completely off i am educated yeah we you tell us and i teach for a living so sorry (laughs) um it's okay we all make mistakes everybody has those days um my one mistake i've made since 1994 so i'll I'll, all right here we go um also I had a listener question about Heaven's Gate. Um, in fact, it was your lovely wife who had this question. She's the best. And she asked if they believed that people from Heaven's Gate, the remaining followers, which there are like four, if they think that there's another opportunity to get onto the ship. And so I was like, well, they got a website. Might as well just email them. <laughs> so I emailed them rep at heavensgate.com and I asked them that question and they responded which was kind of cool you are downplaying so much right now the emotion that you had when you got that reply that's right this is in your top five greatest moments of your life that's probably true dude I was like oh my god embrace it yeah no I mean okay I don't know how to do this on a like a audio platform though like my my body was like surging with energy is that how i should explain it because that's how i felt you should just break out in the song right now (laughs) 
let the people know um, how excited you were. And pretty dope that they just hit you back. Yeah, and they were just like, no. Cl- clearly, they have time on their hands because they yeah. got back to you pretty quick. Oh, yeah, like within an hour. Right. They're so, better than my students. <laughs> right, so it's not like they're they're doing a whole lot. Yeah, so they said that um, they do think that people – or they do think that there will be another chance to get on the ship, but – we're all going to die first. The recycling's going to happen first. And then I guess their souls will just be beamed up. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So. This is one of the many reasons why you should be following us on Instagram. To get this exclusive content, we are at the.cult.ure. Yeah. The culture. Follow us. Now, let's get on to today's cult. The cinnamon buns. Cinnamon. Now, Synanon is a little different than the pretty much all the cults we've talked about prior because it didn't really start as a religious group, really at all. Social club. No. <laughs> it started as a drug rehab center. Where? And in when? Santa Monica. But let's start with the follow uh the founder, whose name was Charles Chuck Diedrich. Chucky D. Chucky D. Big D. Okay, so Chuck was born in 1913 in Toledo, Ohio. His dad was an alcoholic who died in a car accident when Chuck was just four. He was raised like super Roman Catholic, but at the age 14, he read H.G. Wells' The Outline of History. Have you read that? No, but I have heard of H.G. Wells before. He's the guy who wrote like War of the Worlds, right? Or uh, I think so, but Hale Bop says... <laughs> don't put any facts out there anymore because <laughs> you could be true. wrong. But That's I do think true. it is War of the Worlds. I like he's the yeah, I think yeah. So anyways, I guess after reading this, he became a militant atheist and basically got super depressed and so he started drinking at age 14. Never too early, apparently <laughs> back then. Um so he goes to college but he drops out. He uh, is War of the Worlds. Fact check. Okay. War good. of the Worlds and the Invisible Man. Cool. So he drops out of Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Notre Dame. Okay. He drops out of Notre Dame. He also... I think it is Notre Dame. Well, in French, it's Notre Dame. Don't do that. It is. I took four years, bro. I don't think that was one of your vocab terms. That means Our Lady. Notre Dame means football. (laughs) Whatever. So anyways, he drops out. Then he's working at this Gulf oil company, and he gets fired. At age 29, he gets meningitis, which is not good. It's not the teeth one. Which one is that? The teeth one? No, it's not the teeth one. Gingivitis. (laughs) What's meningitis? Meningitis is inflammation of the brain. You can die. That's way worse than gingivitis. Actually, gingivitis is a deadly thing. Gum disease is no joke, bro. That's true. (laughs) Shout out to my dentist. (laughs) Now, one thing, random sidebar about meningitis when I was in college, meningitis was going around at the sorority and fraternity parties because all the people were, you know, sharing drinks. And there was a lacrosse player who got it so bad that they had to amputate his legs. I know. And then we all got a specially approved vaccine because it was like spreading like crazy. So COVID, you're just like, I've already been through this. Yeah. I've <laughs> been I there, done know. that. Yeah, dude. If meningitis, it, it ain't nothing. <laughs> we called it the menge. That is inappropriate. Yeah, I know, but that's what we called it. We're like, can't get the menge. Okay, so anyways, 
Chucky gets meningitis at 29. He almost dies. He doesn't die, though, but it does leave his face partially paralyzed and with a tick and a sneer. Like, he, he always has a face like, like you know, when Elvis would make his, like, yeah. He just uh-huh, stays that uh-huh, way, though. Yeah. And apparently he had a pretty raspy and croaky voice, someone described. So we got some features. Yeah. He's got himself some. He's a, he's a white dude, too. I mean, figured, but. Well, Toledo. <laughs> Toledo, Toledo. Yeah. In 1913. <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. So he moved to Santa Monica at age 40 after having a second failed marriage. You want to go into the psychology of what happens when you lose in a, a parent who is an alcoholic and what that does well, to your relationships? I mean, no, I don't want to. Okay. But there's something there. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, okay. seeing damaged relationships and watching someone behave like that, you know, with alcohol, that's your model. So you're likely to emulate that. I just teed you up and you just bunted right now. I was going to try and make you look so smart. I am so smart. With this but this fake just, psychology degree you it's have. It's not fake. Fairly I will fake. smack it is, you. <laughs> it is a Jitus infected <laughs> psychology degree. You're wrong. Um, Continue. No. You're, you're getting me off track. Okay. So anyways, he gets super drunk. He's just always drunk. He's in Santa Monica, like being a bum, being a wino, as he called himself. So he's just hitting the... Hitting the bottle. Hitting the bottle, baby. Um, he also lost touch with his kids. Doesn't seem like he had a lot of affection for his children. And you'll see why I say that later. But he kind Foreshadowing. Of yes. What a good storyteller. What a good storyteller. <laughs> for the literary lovers. <laughs> okay, so he's in Santa Monica. He's hanging out. Three years later, he goes to AA, his first AA meeting. Do you know what AA is? I do. He's about to get himself sober. Yeah. I like it. So in his first meeting, about halfway through, he goes up and he speaks. And I guess people really liked the way he spoke. And so what happened was he kind of got high on the attention. He kind of replaced his alcoholism with the support and community and kind of like attention he would receive from speaking at AA meetings. He found himself a new vice. Yes. And apparently he was brutally honest about himself and others. And so people, people like that. Yeah. Sure. He would talk philosophy and psychology and just all this stuff. Right. Okay. Now, here's, here's a really interesting fact. So during this time where he's getting sober at UCLA, they want to do a trial using LSD on people who have alcoholism. Or addiction because they think that it will kind of have a bigger effect on them because if they are people who have gone through AA, AA is a pretty like you have to accept like God as like kind of like your higher power. Like it has spiritual elements to it. So they they theorize that like they can use people who already have accepted spirituality and if they use LSD it will be like even a bigger experience for them. Because the whole idea around LSD is like you'll have these like spiritual experiences where you'll like encounter god when was the last time you did lsd oh yesterday okay cool. <laughs> just checking no but there was a girl in uh college that i knew um her name was jen 
And Jen was really interested in doing LSD. Did and she, have she would always talk. <laughs> no, but she would always talk about it. She's like, I want to experience DMT and like all of those things. So I know a little bit about it. Um, so anyways, he does the LSD. He does the experiment. Yes, he's a participant. Is he getting paid? I don't know. Don't they pay you for those things? Um, Sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you just get free LSD. Yeah, right. <laughs> or you just give them to them once and then ride. shockingly <laughs> they show up the next egg to do it again. So yeah. So a lot of people, when they do LSD, like hallucinogens, they're going to experience hallucinations. That's typically what happens. But that's not always what happens. And apparently for Mr. Chuckers, uh, he felt omnipotent and omniscient. So he was like, I'm God. <laughs> I think it's probably more common yeah. on that drug than other ones that people right. choose to partake in. So after this trial, this LSD trial, which kind of really changed the trajectory of his whole life, he really got into philosophy and psychology, and he wanted to create a utopian community like that, which was outlined by Emerson and Thoreau. You know? Yeah. So he's a reader, this guy. I guess, yeah. At least philosophy. He seems to be at least... He's not unintelligent. Correct. He's, yeah. Th this is his little niche here. Yeah. Okay. So he's in AA. He's talking a lot. The people are enjoying him. And so he starts holding meetings after AA at his house where party continues. A little after party AA. <laughs> yeah. So... Long story short, in the 50s, there really were no drug rehab centers, especially for people who weren't just alcoholics. If it, they were on like drugs, like heroin or cocaine, there really wasn't a spot for them to go unless they were going to go to the hospital or prison. Well, this was the 1950s. So this yes. is Leave it to Beaver. Yes. Life is good. This is, right. this is Americana at its finest right now. We are right. doing very well. One World War II. Go off, history teacher. Need to make let everybody know. People get in refrigerators. People get in cars. Yeah. It is the it's American age dream. of consumerism, mm -hmm. and it is all about keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Drug so, problems are not keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> and they're not our problem. Correct. Yeah. So he was like, these people need somewhere to go. So he opens up a rehab facility, a really janky <laughs> rehab facility in a storefront in Santa Monica, um, which was called Dingy by one author. Um, and he called it TLC or Tender, Tender Loving, Loving Care. Care. And basically he would let people withdraw there and then they would do these seminars, these long seminars where he would just talk like all the time. So it's not a pleasant place. As you're withdrawing from oh, no. drug use... And they didn't have withdrawal medication back yeah, then either. Yeah, you're just going so. cold turkey. Yes. Sweating, crying on they the floor. They were expected to go cold turkey. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, so. From what I've been told, I don't. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Not my thing. Let's. Uh, let... <laughs> I don't need drugs to feel omnipotent. Oh, you're just a sociopath as you are. <laughs> okay, so anyways, he um, he would hold these long se seminars where he would just go on for hours talking about psych, philosophy, and he would also tease and also ridicule, but like kind of joke with the addicts around him, which according to everyone seemed to work. 
seemed to get people sober and keep them sober while they were there. So he's having some success, which yes. again will probably make him feel even more powerful. Yes. And he's fe- he's liking the success. Yes. So uh, apparently they come up with the name Synanon because someone slurred the words seminar Syn- and symposium. I was going to throw a synagogue in there just for funsies. <laughs> well, I like that. Um, so it became Syn and then anonymous. So like symposium oh, anonymous. I see, I see where you're going here. Yeah. Um, I don't love it. No, it's but not I get, the best. But I get it. But it's 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 not not catchy. Synanon. Synanon. It yeah, I'm flows. Okay. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Okay. So their first TLC building, it was not up to code, and the people who were like living there were like, we don't, you know, Americana. They didn't want them there, so they actually got that bulldozed. That building bulldozed. The city did, and then. The Synanon group, they bu- they bought the old National Guard Armory building on the beach in Santa Monica. And at this time, they had 65 members. But only 10 days after they built this, uh, bought this place, he was arrested for operating a treatment center without a license in a residential area. Yeah, you can't just claim, you know, that you know what you're doing because you got some money. Yeah, so he spent 25 days in jail and... He said that he was arrested because he started saving lives on the wrong side of town. What a martyr. Yeah. (laughs) Doing the Lord's work. Yeah. So here's kind of like the expectations of what the members of Synanon had to do. So they had to quit cold turkey, whatever they used. And then while they were staying there at Synanon, which they either paid to stay or they worked to stay. So they would do hard labor. Um, and they would have this mutual kind of like support. Like they all had this big community, like a big family kind of thing. And they had to do this thing where they played the game three times a week, which I'll tell you about in just a second. So hold your little brain horses on that. (laughs) Um, so they had to do those things. Those are the things they had to do each week or every day at sitting on Coffee, peanut butter sandwiches, and cigarettes were always available. I mean, I'm I'm down for a good PB PB sandwich. PB and coffee. Um, Charles or Chuck would provide couches for people to kick heroin. And he basically started believing that what he called dope fiends, which today we would call drug addicts. Um, He believed that they were not actually real adults and should not be treated as them. So he would treat them as children, and they would call him dad. There's a lot there. Yeah. Also at Synanon, they had a lot of classes offered, like in public speaking, art, drama, and music. And apparently, like, big, like, jazz musicians came to Synanon and would, like, perform. And they even made, like, a, a, an album called Sounds of Synanon. You got it? No, I don't got it. You might need to get that. <laughs> um, also, which was, you know, we're talking about the 50s. What was really um, impactful for this group was that they were interracial. They they welcomed everybody. That's a big deal. Big deal, especially yep. back then. Yep. And so as long as people worked, they never had to leave. Um, and members would shave their head as a way of punishment and hazing. You will see that 
they're all close, closely shaved heads. So it just became like the uniform. Yeah, it, it kind of just became the norm of the group. Okay, also fun fact about their shaved heads. Apparently, a bunch of them appeared in one of George Lucas's non-Star Wars films called uh, THX 1138 because they all had shaved heads. They just fit the they cast. They were extras. They just fit the casting for what they were looking for, or what? They just needed a bunch of bald-headed people. Because well, there you it go. Was like a, well, there you go. Because it was like a dystopian science fiction film. That's so funny. Yeah. So, other things kind of similar to some of the other cults we've talked about, the members would self-police. So, if people were, like, breaking rules, they would snitch on each other. They weren't using any outside organizations. So, <laughs> everything staying, like, self-contained. Yeah. Which probably kept a lot of people off their radar. Yeah. Because also they were mainly in, in the Synanon buildings, like, all day. Is one building or is like a grouping of buildings? Well, they will expand and it will become pretty big. Like a, like a compound almost. Well, no, it'll be like throughout the country. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, so originally the goal was to keep these people who were addicts with Synanon for three to five years and then graduate them out back I'm into the to go world. back into the real world, right? Uh, that was the original plan. That's going to change. And this guy, Chuckers, Chuckers Diedrich, he is famous for saying every day, today is the first day of the rest of your life. I feel like that's like famous. Yeah. So people took on that? I don't know if he made that up or he got that from someone else, but he really popularized it, at least, with this group. So anyways, in the 60s, this was like popping. Like people were like into it. They were like, yeah, look at this guy. He's saving the drug addicts. Like like a really, really famous psychologist. His name is Abraham Maslow. Have you ever heard of the hierarchy of needs? Maslow, the dog guy. No, that's Pavlov. Pavlov. Maslow's <laughs> something else. I know Maslow. Maslow is a hierarchy of needs. It's a triangle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he's like, he called it like no crap therapy or something like that. He was like into it, which surprises me, but whatever. Um, So it was really, really popular. They made a movie about it. About the movie? About? Synanon. Synanon. It's called Synanon. How original. I know. <laughs> okay. So in 1963, Chuck, he marries his third wife, who was a black woman. Um, her name was Betty Coleman, and she was a former heroin addict. Well, she came to Synanon as a heroin addict and then, you know, got sober. And this was a big deal, interracial marriage um, at the time. Now, 1968, they have 1,100 members. They have about 2.5 mil in Mula. Dang, he's doing great. And they've got seven mil in real estate. He's doing very well. So they were all around the state and the country, and they were even in Puerto Rico. All right. Like, they were making moves. Okay, so you might be like, why is this group so popular? Because it kind of is like, yeah, whatever. Like, it doesn't sound that intriguing. But the reason why it was so popular was this, I'm putting this in quotes for you all, this therapy in quotes that Charles um, devised called the game, okay? So <laughs> this is how you play the game. And, and members had to play the game at least three times a week. 
So I don't think I'm going to like the game. No, you would hate the game, and you will see why. So 12 addicts sit in a circle. They all sit in a circle. And then one player starts talking about all the flaws of another player, picking out every single thing that they've got wrong with them, whether it's real or, or imaginary. Okay, so it'd be like if I was just ripping you to shreds for every little thing. It'd be a short conversation. <laughs> Mark. Mark. <laughs> let's, not, let's not play the game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so basically what happens if, is if you try to defend yourself as the person, the subject of the attack, everybody else joins in on the attack. And you just have to sit there and take it, basically. And once you sit there and you take it and you accept what you is wrong with you and you say that you'll fix it, then they move on to the next person. This is psychotic. Yes, literally. So vulgarity was encouraged. Apparently Chuck would say, talk dirty and live clean. Um, so they would just go off, like screaming, like horrible things to each other. And... The goal of it was to have this, like, emotional release. And there were two rules in their group, especially with this game. No drugs and no violence. So you could scream violent things at people, but you couldn't do any physical violence upon any anybody. I feel like this would break you down really fast as a person. Right. Which is the goal. It's like 60 days in. Yeah. The goal is... So no, not 60 days in. Scared straight. <laughs> getting my shows mixed up. The, the goal is to get you broken down so that you can, he, like, you can grow. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, I, I could see this being extremely traumatizing to people. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. One One addict who was there said, like, it worked because it was so insane, but people who seek out drugs like a lot of stimulation and so the like psychotic nature of it kept you hooked on that that's what he explained it yeah as. I mean, it's definitely not a vanilla experience <laughs> no 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 yeah definitely not now eventually there would be other versions of the game one such version is called the trip so it's 48 hours of the game it's a long game plus Plus, they add in a Ouija board here. As you should. <laughs> add in some picking things, Picking things out of the closet. Right. So basically, the combo of sleep deprivation, getting completely bombarded with, you know, insults and verbal attacks, and a Ouija board led a lot of people to experience hallucinations. And some would declare Diedrich, Chuck, their God. They would call him God and their Savior because they were hallucinating. A Ouija board and 48 hours no sleep will do that to a man. <laughs> yeah, so that is kind of the, the vibe of what's going on here. Now, things are going to take a little turn in the end of the 60s and in the 70s, and we will talk about that right after the break. Okay, so we're back. Now, we're in the end of the 60s. It's 1969 now. We went to the moon. We did? In what year did that? 1969. Oh. You remember the Even Stevens movie? No. Oh. That's the only thing that comes on my mind. Anytime anyone says 1969. Oh. 
That's really so random. Whatever. Even Stevens was cool. <laughs> okay. Um, so in 1969, Synanon changes its mind about people leaving the group. And he's like, people don't need to leave. He's probably feeling more powerful the more people that are in, wants people to stay. Well, Look at how big the numbers are. Well, yeah, but also because when people were leaving, they were relapsing. So he actually does care. Eh, I don't think so. Or he I doesn't think, want to look bad. I If he cares, it's very little. Uh, it may be a sliver of care, but I think he just got hooked on the power, and I think he didn't want to look bad. Yeah. Um. So at this time, they also started to welcome in non-addicts. Like, people that just wanted to get berated in the game, I guess. I don't know. It's freaking weird. But they just wanted to get yelled at for 48 hours <laughs> to become their best selves. Also, this is horrible. Um, courts would send juvies, like juvenile delinquents, to Synanon. Really? Yeah. So they're, like, recognized. Yeah. As, like, an actual institution. Yes, that's crazy. And they would have to go through the game. Oh. These like juvenile delinquent kids. Now that is scared straight. <laughs> yeah, literally. That is where scared nice straight nice came little from. uh what uh brought it all the way yeah, around. Yeah. We 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 brought it we tied it together in a nice bow. Now, in 1970, um Synanon rebranded itself as a new psychotherapy treatment form and this is when they try to like basically make the game into a, th a therapy method. Like legitimize it. They tried to, yes. There were 3,400 non-drug addicts that were paying money to participate in the game. All at the location or at a different location. Different location. Okay, so now we're, now we're spreading. Yeah. And the reason why is because like, apparently during the 70s was like everybody was wanted to be the, their best selves. Like we call this self-actualization in psychology. They wanted to be their most actualized sense of themselves. And so this human potential movement brought in a lot of, like, middle-class randos, which they called squares. So rude. <laughs> Me and you are definitely squares. For sure. <laughs> so Diedrich uh, or Chuck, he would call it an experimental society. And at this time, they moved to Marin County, and this is where they start wearing overalls. Overalls. Dungarees. How do you say it? Is it dungarees? Dungarees? Dungarees. Dungarees. Which apparently, you guys, I looked it up. That word comes from India originally. So the more you know. Anyways, so they moved to Marin. They start wearing overalls. And in 1970, he quit smoking, Chuck. And so everybody else has to as well, which is very hard for addicts because when you're replacing one thing, a lot of people have to do another. So now we only have peanut butter sandwiches and coffee. Yeah. The cigarettes are out. And 150 people quit that day when they dropped cigarettes. They're like, we can't. So in 1972, they have 1,700 live-in residents. This is a large group from 60. Yeah. Um, and many members would give Synanon control of all of their assets their companies, their real estate, all of that. So they are all in. Mm -hmm. And Chucky e. D is just making money hand over fist. <laughs> Chucky e. D. <laughs> hand yes. over fist. Yes. Now, in 1973, 
things start taking a turn. So during, <laughs> during one of the games, Chucky e. D is participating. And one of the women in it is not listening to him, not respecting him. And so during it, he, he goes over her and he pours a can of Coke on her head. Which is kind of a violent act. I mean, like, it's not intense, but it's like, You're, there was no violence allowed yeah. before that. No, that's a change. So the hardcore members were like, okay, now it's time to like, let's be violent. It's on. Yeah. Just unlock like, the Let's next just level. like ramp this up to yeah. a million. Because to be fair, like, you would have to imagine that the game only works, it works the most at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And after you do it for a while, you're like, nah. I can take some verbal abuse. This is fine. Right. But you're like, you know what else we could do? <laughs> Start being violent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in, in 1974, they changed their status to a religion because the people were like, you know, the, the governing people, whoever they were, were like, why aren't people leaving your treatment center if they get better? Right. Right, so then they change it to a religion. They, in 1974, they become the Church of Synanon, because you don't leave a church. You get like a tax break for that too. Yes. So he's just so like they receive more tax money. exempt status as a religious org from the IRS. Smart move. So, in 1975, they're ramping it up. They're just bringing it up to the next level. So Synanites, which they called them, next to their compound was ranches. Okay. And these kids, the kids of members of Synanon, would run away because they were getting abused in these things. And these ranchers would, like, smuggle them out. Long story short, they beat the crap out of one rancher. They pistol-whipped another rancher who lived next door. Oh, because he was helping the kids. Mm -hmm. So these are the members that are doing this. Yes. So we're all in on violence now. Yeah. Yeah. We're Even fully, outside the game. We're fully in. Okay. Um, they beat up two black couples who had parked their cars at Synanon buildings. Just beat them up, like, horribly. So the violence now is becoming something that they are into. Something it seems that's, like, like it. promoted from Chuck. And Chuck said this, nonviolence was just a position. We can change positions anytime we want to. Clearly. So he was getting a little he was getting a little cray cray. So at this time, Chuck also stopped letting people leave the buildings. So now we got prisoners. He would demonize quitters and he called them splitties. Squares and splitties. <laughs> and um he also was starting to make them ask if they could have sex. Like if people wanted to have sex with each other, they had to ask permission from an elder. Power move. Yeah, that's always a move in a cult. Yeah. Restrict sex. Yeah. Um, they would do what they called glut raids routinely on residents' rooms, taking excessive personal possessions, things that they just thought they didn't need. Or things that Chuck wanted. <laughs> yeah. He also established 24-hour days. So half of the workforce would work in the morning and then half would work at night. So it was up. Like factory system. Popping all. Yeah. Yep. Lights are always on. Yes. They made their own police force. They'll eventually make their own military. They play by their own rules. Yeah. 
So now in 1976, they have assets worth $22 million and $8 million in annual revenue from like these advertising businesses. They own 5,500 acres of property, including the Casa del Mar Hotel in Santa Monica, which I guess is like kind of nice. I don't know. They had apartment buildings. They had three compounds in Marin County. They had a compound in Badger, California, which also had an airstrip. Like, they were big. They're playing Monopoly now. They're just buying up. <laughs> They're at the end of Monopoly. Yeah, they're just buying up all the things that could be helpful. They also had 200 cars, 400 motorcycles, 62 freight trucks, 20 boats, 12 airplanes, and $1 million invested in the stock market. This is like a small country. <laughs> yeah. It probably made more than a small country at that time. For sure. Um, and, and, and Chuck had no problem with this. He said that he, he needed nice things because he's not a holy man. And he likes to be on top, and he isn't bound by the rules, but he makes the rules in very peculiar ways. Okay. So now, in mid-'70s, people start noticing them being like, you guys are weird. And the San Francisco Chronicle called them like a kooky cult. And uh, another newspaper called them the racket of the century and synonym sues. And they start threatening the journalists, saying, we're going to ruin your life. Literally popping up and be like, <laughs> these two baldies popping up and saying, we're going to ruin your life. Um, and Chuck was like totally down with it. He was like, well, you know, I don't know what these people will do. You know, bombs could just show up in the house of these journalists. I don't know. Like threatening them, you yeah. know. And at this time, they formed their own paramilitary, which they call the Imperial Marines. Dorky. I feel like that's a dorky name. What would you go with? Well, Imperial implies an emperor. Or I an empire. Think of Star Wars. That's what I thought yeah. of too. Um, which this this kills me. They developed their own type of martial arts, which they used called Sindo. Sindo. <laughs> I just can't with that. I I'm just imagine these bald headed dudes doing some made up Taekwondo kind of thing at some garage sale somewhere. Is a VHS. I need that called Sindo and you. Yes. And we need to get a hold of it. <laughs> so also in 1976, this is when he's like, you know what? Kids suck. We don't want kids here anymore. Because basically the kids that were there were not being raised by their parents. They were taken and raised by like the group collectively. And he was like, they're basically too expensive. Like, we don't we don't want them anymore. So uh, he basically forced people to get women to get abortions who were pregnant, and he forced men to get vasectomies. 80 men got it in 18, 1976 just like, because of that. I feel like 80s low. Are you talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people? I guess. 80 are all in? Yeah, I guess. It's impressive that he got anyone. Yeah, well, so... <laughs> This one guy, Phil Ritter, who was a member at the time, he was like, no, I don't want to get a vasectomy. And so they were like, get out. And he, they made him leave his wife and child behind. They literally forced him out. So this guy is going to sue, and we'll get back to that. But they go crazy on him. Now, in 1977, Betty Diedrich's wife died. Okay. 
And he's like, oh, time to remarry. Let me put applications out. Women literally applied. That are inside? <laughs> that are inside the group. Okay. So six women applied, and he chose a 31-year-old. Only six? Yeah, I guess. They were I like... Mean, I guess at this point... Or, he's 64 at this age. Right. What are you signing up for? Yeah. And you're probably not going to get the estate. And then he decided marriage shouldn't be a permanent thing anymore. And rather, people should just have three-year-long marriages, and then they'll form new love matches every three years. So within two, within days of this declaration, 230 couples filed for divorce. Oh, that's so sad. I know. It is sad. Jeez. Now, Ritter, the guy who left, also got divorced, and Sinanon was blocking him from seeing his child. So he filed a motion, and two members beat him with wooden mallets, leaving him with a fractured skull, bleeding. So they, they're crazy. Yeah, they'll, they'll kill you or at least hurt you. Yeah. So... We got a little bit more, and then we're almost done, y'all. Thanks for sticking with me. Now, they're going to do a lot more attacks, but here are the main ones. In 1977, also, they get sued by these people, the Wins, the Win are, are their last name, Francis and Ed, because Francis was, like, mentally unwell, and so she was trying to go to, like, a mental hospital, but the people sent her to Synanon. They freaking kidnapped her, took her to a compound somewhere. She's like, I don't want to be here, shaved her head. And uh, tortured her by putting her in the game. And so they sued and they won $300,000. Now, their lawyer was named Paul, Paul Morantz. And they, Synanon, didn't like Paul Morantz. They had a hit list and he was on it. And so what did they do? They put a rattlesnake in Paul Morantz's mailbox which bit him, and he almost died. Jeez. <laughs> like, they are... Not playing. Literally insane. Um, in 1978, they get $300,000 worth of guns and ammunition. So they're going hard. They're, that, that paramilitary is ready to roll. Yeah. Um, and they're just psycho. Yeah. Basically, Chuck was like, we are not turn the... Ch- cheat kind of people we're the we will kill people kind of people i understand how like the government's like just letting all of this fly okay well they did because it was the 70s still well just a few days after the infamous jonestown incident which we'll have to cover in in our next episode they were like okay these people are definitely a cult and we got to stop this so th- like a few days after the jonestown incident they went in and raided synanon the government and they just took everything mhm they found all this evidence that they were they had a hit list and that they were like going to just be violent and yeah. crazy and there was a bunch of tax evasion and just a bunch a lot of, of stuff. a bunch of crazy stuff Okay, so in 1983, three of the Synanon officials testify against Diedrich. They claim that the Imperial Marines had a hit list of Synanon enemies, um, which had that guy Phil and Morantz and this guy Jack Hurst, who was a former Synanon president, on the list, who apparently they, they hung his dog. They're freaking psycho. Yeah, that's getting... Good thing they came in. <laughs> right. So when officials arrested Chuck... Get this. He was so drunk, he had to be carried to jail on a stretcher. That's probably best case scenario, though. 
right? Practice what you preach though, bro. Yeah, I hear you, man. But you don't want to go out. Like he would have, they probably would have had to kill him. Yeah. So in 1980, he pleads no contest to conspiracy to murder. Guess what he gets? Two years. He gets five years probation and fined $10,000. For this whole thing? Yeah. For conspiracy to commit murder. So he wins. Well, you just wait. So then in 1984, in another uh, another court case, the court rules against it and on. They find policies of terror and violence. Basically, they, they shut Sinanon down. And in 1991, it's formally dissolved. Guess where he ends up? In Santa Monica as a millionaire. No. He ends up in Visalia. Oh, shout out that Central Valley. In a double wide. <laughs> there are worse places in the world. With his his 31-year-old wife who applied. Is he still there? He died in 1997 at 83 years old. But his legacy remains on to this day, and actually a lot of things that they did, like, still kind of is a thing in, like, drug rehab centers. I mean, I'm going to say that he kind of won. That's not a terrible way to finish. I mean, the fact— Compared to what we've seen. Visalia? Compared to— Beamed up? Well, but they chose that. I know, but look at the leaders— They've all pretty much ended up like real bad situations. Like dead or in jail? Yeah, I mean a double wide in yeah, California. I mean, yeah, with, comparatively. After what you I guess just you did with that much money and that many followers, it's pretty good. That's true. That's true. Okay, you got to rank it. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I am six point five. These people were murdering people. What are you talking about? There's no evidence of that. There's a rattlesnake and a dog. They beat up the guy Phil Ritter. They fractured his skull. That's not dead. Oh my god! And this guy's just—he's making. Listen, he's making the world a better place. <laughs> he's rehabbing drug addicts. Yeah. Okay. And he ended up in Visalia. Six point five. I think I'm just still shook from last week's. Oh and my god. So gosh. I got to adjust my scale a little bit. All right. All right. You got to take a breather. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. Catch us next week on The Culture and don't drink the Kool-Aid. See ya.